um, you know, greetings uh, and salutations in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to all of us um, at church, also to the visitors who joined uh, in today. Um, also, um, just, you know, even as we sang, you know, our, our greatest hope, our greatest living hope um, is not us, you know, it's not, um, is not what we see around, but our greatest hope that we, you know, even as we were just reflecting today in worship is Him. And there's no other hope, right? No other hope for the world. There's no other hope for us. Uh, and there is no other hope for the church too, that it is only uh, Jesus Christ. What, a, what an assurance we have in him. Um, but you know what? There are day-to-day -day battles, right? Day-to-day -day battles. Now, we know one of the greatest battles that is happening across globally for the past year or more. Um, so there are battles that continue every single day in our personal lives, uh, probably in countries and probably even globally. Uh, and who wins these battles? And that is something that we're going to look in today. You know, I also want to acknowledge one of my nephews, uh, Georgie, is going to be um, working on the slides with me. I was, you know, I was just, you know, we were just praying yesterday, Georgie and myself, and we were just saying, what an honor, right, for an for an uncle and a nephew to be able to be part, you know, just being working together hand in glove for God's word to go out. So uh, I consider this uh, such a joy to have Georgie along with me, uh, you know, my my sidekick, you know, my navigator for today. So um, over, you know, now we just jump right into the message, into the message. You know, we know the story of David and Goliath, right? A very common uh, story right from Sunday school days. We've been hearing it. And you know what? Every time the every time that we hear about David and Goliath, you know, our, our image, in fact, one way, or we ourselves would love to transport ourselves into the Valley of Elah, right? And freeze everything and just walk around and see what is happening and what really happened. It's a story that we all love to go and read, you know. First uh, Samuel 16 and 17, and just relive that story again, right? It, that story never bores us. It never bores us. In fact, it's one of the greatest battles ever won, not just historically, but even spiritually. You know, the past few weeks, we've been looking at various, you know, from the entire council of God, we've been looking at various things. You know, we spoke about the repeating cycle of sin and judgment and oppression and crying out to the Lord. The Israelites cried out and God delivered them through judges. And even in Judges 21 verse 25, we reflected that in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know, we also looked into the aspect that faith is not genetic. You know, we also looked into the aspect of the transition of Israel from, from a theocracy to a monarchy and God's rule to a human rule. We looked into, George and brought up about the establishment of kingships in, in Saul and David. And in spite of all that God has been to them, you know, they rejected Yahweh. But we also, real, you know, last week we closed that God is king, no matter what, no matter what. You know, our salutation and our worship and an honor is to the one true king, the most victorious king over sin and death and over everything that can happen. Truly, God is king. You know, today is the 14th um, portion of, you know, probably 52 major events in the Bible. And today is about, story, about David and Goliath. Okay. There are multiple things we can pull out out of this portion. Okay. So take our time, probably in our cell groups, there are various angles we can look at it. But what God had put on my heart onto three simple things about faith is what I would be um, probably highlighting on. Now, there are multiple characters. We know, um, you know, we know that there is Saul, 
was still present, even though God rejected him, Saul is still present. Uh, David is uh, David is also present, still taking care of the sheep. Okay, and then there is this huge animosity that continues still today between whom Israel and the Philistines. All right, so this is a bit of a set, setting. Okay, that the armies of Israel, the Philistine army is there, you know, and there's a beautiful setting that God is creating called the Valley of Elah. Okay, that's where this battle was fought. But before we jump into that, you know, we're going to look into the lives of some of these key characters first and see, learn how this battle was fought. Okay. Uh, did it have aspects of faith till this battle was fought? And that's going to be the stepping stones towards, you know, the valley that we as a church are going to enter. Okay. The Valley of Elah. Now, keep in mind also that this was the environment David was in before he was appointed as king by God. Now, the first point that I'd just like to bring out is, you know, uh, you know, when faith erodes, okay, the erosion of faith, does it happen uh, in our lives? Um, is it something that can happen automatically or is it something that happens gradually without us knowing? Okay, we saw last week how Saul rejected God and in turn, God rejected Saul as king. But let me tell you the, 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 the erosion that happened, it happens in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. A lot of things will build up to it, but this is a verse that I would just like to bring it up. So Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering the fat of rams. Basically, you know, God is trying to bring it into a current, uh, you know, translation for soul and saying rebellion is sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. Now, this is, you know, how this is how Saul's faith just through time eroded. And this was an, this was a fruit that bore out of his lack of faith because his faith just eroded. He had no faith or trust in God. But just to ask us as a question, did the God of Israel know that this is all going to happen? Did the God of Israel know that Israel is going to choose a king? Did God foresee this happening? You know, we know that God is sovereign. But did this, you know, you know, I know we know the answer, but just think about it, okay? He knew for sure this would happen. He knew for sure that Israel would reject him as king. He, but one of the things is that he didn't want the faith to erode to a man. Now, just to see the promise that was given in Genesis 49 verse 10. Now, this is the blessing Jacob gives to his children. Then Jacob called together all his sons and said, gather around me and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Did God know? He did know. He did know that one day, the Israelites would look for a king, but he had probably someone in heart that he wanted a point as a king. Keep in mind, the scepter that is normally held by a king, which tribe? Judah. And guess what? Not only the tribe, but the descendants of Judah will rule. And from that, the, even, the, even, even the God we worship, the Lord we worship, like the line of Judah will emerge 
the one whom the nations will order, honor, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. So just keep in mind, God knew God is sovereign. He knew this transition, but it would have just torn his heart out when Saul rejected him as king. It was a gradual erosion of faith for the Israelites because of their sin. And then Saul also, also started to erode his faith. Everybody did whatever they wanted, and Saul did the same too. Now, Samuel tries to address this sin. Okay, Brothers and sisters, even as I share this, just think about the erosion of your faith. Okay, Is your faith eroding? You know, even when Samuel challenged them, you know what, um, you know, don't, don't, you know, this is what God is saying. That's what God is encouraging. You know, they're not, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And yet the people said, give us a king to judge us like the other nations. You know, the rejected God is their judge. They said, we want to be like other nations around us. Right? We want to have, you know, we want to be like a, like, like a, like a country that looks pretty cool, pretty happy. You know, we have, you know, we have, we have everything just like another country. They forgot that they are his people and not like any other nation. You know, they also said that let a king judge over us. Let him lead us into battle. They rejected God as a king. And guess what? They even forgot and rejected that. It is God who led the 70 people as a family. To a massive nation. He led them through the Red Sea. He led them for 40 years as a pillar of fire in the night and as a cloud by day. They were willing to just delete all of that. They were intentional that they're, you know what, we, we don't mind if this is okay. We want a king. Guess what? The people chose their king. You know, if you look at if you look at um, Saul's CV, it is very interesting. You know, he was not from the tribe of Judah, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, he was tall, he was handsome, he looked the part, but he didn't have the heart for God. You know, he took up the priestly role of Samuel. You know, he lacked patience to wait for Samuel to come. Even his patience to wait with God was, was poor. He was not a repentant man. Interestingly, he was more of a politician rather than a godly king. You know, after he came, out, came back after, you know, defeating, so-called defeat of the Amalekites, he built a monument for himself. You know, he reminds me of, I don't know if, you know, during many years back, there used to be a cartoon called Woody Woodpecker. Okay, so just a little a narration of Woody Wood. You know, it's like a woodpecker who's on a tree and he pecks, 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 okay? And this, you know, this woodpecker just, just flew and turned around and lightning hits his entire tree and just splits it open. Okay, and Woody Woodpecker turns around and tells everybody, that's me. That's me. And many times, you know, Saul was exactly that. In spite of his disobedience, he was willing to build a monument to say, the first king, look at all that we've done. And he was immediately, you know, focusing that attention upon him. He loved the approval of man. He loved, he feared man. In fact, he wanted the acceptance of man rather than he failed to kill Agag and he kept all those in the name of the Lord. He said, Lord, he said multiple cool words, but his heart was far away from God. He lost his faith in God, brothers and sisters. He consulted a medium. You know, at the end of his life, he took his own life. You know, Saul died a defeated, grumpy man without God in his life. No wonder that we see that David, you know, this, this verse, right? Um, Psalm 51 verse 11 is, is sometimes very controversial, right? Meaning it says that, he says, uh, David prays, Lord, do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
you know, David's plea, he's seeing what has happened to Saul. He's seeing the erosion of Saul. And he's scared that his own sin with Bathsheba, the outcome of it, if he does not repent, that's exactly what's going to happen to him. You know, he pleads. He pleads to God for repentance and renewal. And he needs God and his spirit in his, in his life daily, brothers and sisters. He feared the consequence of sin and God's judgment upon him. And David beautifully puts this, my Lord, I don't want your spirit to leave me. I don't want to even quench your spirit, Lord. I'm sorry. You saw? Even as faith, uh, um, Saul's faith eroded, there was one man who was being prepared, whose faith was being built up by God. Now, brothers and sisters, I just want to ask a question as I ask myself these questions I was, as I was preparing is, is a slow fade like Saul happening in, in, in your and my life? Is our faith, even during times of pandemic like this, is it eroding in areas unseen by anyone? Not by the elders, not by your wife or your husband, but is it eroding? Is it being eaten away by various other things? Is a sin in our life that is quenching the work of God's spirit in our life. You know, this can lead to slow fades and erosions in our life. And our faith could erode. How much ever you know scripture, how much ever we can call scripture, how much ever cell groups we attend, or whatever it may be, how much ever we can grip all of God's word, are there areas in our life that is creating a slow fade or an erosion? Probably it is the philosophies of this world or the worldviews that come to us daily, right? You know, probably it is some of these monuments that we build for ourselves, the approval, the acceptance of man. We want a name for ourselves, even in ministry. You know, brothers and sisters, something that, you know, that I've seen is, you know, I've seen the desire to build a name through ministry. Sometimes we want to put our faith in man rather than God. We want to consult with man rather than spend time with God daily. We want to make things happen. Okay, we don't want to wait for God's timing. Israel wanted to make things happen. They wanted a king, but God's timing was so different. Now, probably the love for things of this world rather than God himself, the money, the prestige, the family name, the acceptance, the credentials, the relationships. Brothers and sisters, just closing this first part, you know, plug the erosion. When faith erodes, when you know that there is erosion happening, in your heart, we all know there's an erosion happening in areas in our life. Plug the erosion, else you will fade away from God. It is not because of the church. It is not because of people. It is not because of anything else. Don't blame our external environment. But the erosion happens in your heart just the same way that happened in Saul's heart. Plug it, dear brothers and sisters. Even I, I, I ask the Lord to even teach me to plug those erosions in our life that I know. Otherwise, we will fade away from God. Looking into the next part, okay? Faith is about the heart and not the appearance. You know, we know that um, as Saul was eroding, God was, as I shared before, God was preparing someone. God was, and this man, this, this young boy, um, uh, probably a teen, was being prepared by God. And, um, you know, in the, in, in, when we look in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 to 13, we see that he was taking care of a sheep. David was taking care of his sheep and his goats. That was probably his household chore or the responsibilities given to him. He had older brothers, probably their families had sheep and goats, and he was taking care of them. You know, We see how Samuel 
when God is telling Samuel, you know what? I've rejected Saul. Okay. Now you need to go appoint a king. This time the king is from Judah. It's an interesting story. You know, he goes to Bethlehem. He gets an address and says, oh, the house of Jesse. You know, let me, let me head there. And he goes to the house of Jesse and he meets up with Jesse. Okay. Now, when Samuel arrives there, now look at brothers and sisters, look at uh, um, as, as Georgie is pointing it out there. Look at the first line. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought what? Surely this is God's anointed. Done. Deep. You know, I was thinking about a three-day meeting, but in a matter of 10 minutes, you know, um, I have discerned that this is the Lord's anointed. And guess what? God immediately pastors to Samuel and tells him, don't judge by appearance or height. But I've rejected him from appointment to exit letter in a matter of probably, I think, less than one minute. And then God says those beautiful words. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The truth, the truth. God is saying faith is about the heart. Faith is about the heart and not what you think you see or the appearance that you can see. And you know what? Um, Samuel tells Jesse, you know, can you parade all your sons? And one by one, one by one, they come up. And every time, um, you know, Samuel is probably making notes and he says, ah, appointed. And then God says, no, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. And then probably Samuel will be confused, right? Like, who else can it be? And he says, there's, and Jesse says, there's one of my son, but he's taking care of sheep and goats. Not, he would not even qualify. I will not even send him. To you because he's just uh, you know he's just a herder, he's just shepherd, yeah. And Samuel says, "Get him here fast, get him here fast." And we will not sit without David coming. And the moment David comes in, David is unaware of it. Nobody is aware of it. Even even Saul is not aware of it. Samuel is secretly anointing David there. The moment he arrives, he's appointed king because that was God's appointed time, brothers and sisters. You know the revelation of. The scepter of Judah starts there. In Genesis, it's mentioned. We went through that journey, the whole counsel of God, right? And God has his appointed time for the right king, a man after God's own heart, to be appointed. You know, uh, you know uh, the appointing of David and Saul has a lot of similarities, okay? Actually, Samuel appointed both of them, okay? Neither Saul nor David was pursuing this position. They were unaware of it. They were both unlikely candidates. Saul was the smallest tribe. The Benjamin tribe was the smallest tribe. It was not even part of the prophecy. And David, in fact, was a youngest son. No way these two men could have been king. And both were interestingly impressive in their appearance. Scripture talks about it. And both of them had the spirit of the Lord that mightily came upon them when they are appointed as king. You know, during those days when it says the spirit of the Lord came, it was specifically for a particular task. Okay. And, um, and, and it was you know, people really had to walk closer with God. You know, now we can never say that God would ever take the Holy Spirit away from us. That is not true. That is, in fact, wrong teaching. You cannot lose your salvation. God cannot just take away the Spirit of the Lord. But, you know, there are ways that in which we quench His Spirit and behave as if we are like worldly people. The key difference between David and Saul was David was a man after God's own. Interestingly, everybody in this narrative was looking on the outside, but only God was looking at the heart, including Samuel. 
you know, what can we, what can we learn about from here? You know, when faith is about the heart. Um, Georgie, if you could just go to the next slide, uh, Georgie. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Uh, you know, what God is looking at is in your heart that others cannot see, brothers and sisters. You know, mine and yours and probably many, you know, we can sound so, you know, we can sound so biblical, so theological. We can sound so godly, the right words. We could do multiple things, right? We can get accolades. But trust me, you know, God sees our heart. He will test it and see if it is above the appearance or is a heart truly set on Yahweh. You know, our services, even in our church or even in our, you know, offices, our ministries, our appearances, our skills, our positions, our talents, our languages, our knowledge. You know, what matters most is, is our heart for him and is it unto him? All these abilities and all these things that appear, is it everything is not for us to keep, but it is unto him. You know, let's pray like how John the Baptist prayed in John, you know, 3 verse 30. He says that he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. John the Baptist could have paraded uh, that he could have been the Messiah. But he says, you know, guys, it's not me. It's not me. I'm not even worthy to even tie the chapels of Jesus or the sandals of Jesus. He says, I should become less and less and he should become great. You know, we get carried away, right? Like um, when people say the word Lord, Lord, um, you know, when sometimes we hear celebrities and sporting personalities says, you know, say a few things about the faith. And we say 100%, 100%. Sometimes we get carried away by preachers and teachers and even influencers. The current day is, you know, all the marketing guys in, in, in church. You know, influencers are a big thing. Big brands are using influencers. We get carried away so fast. But trust you know, just, just looking at the word, it is only God who can see what is in the heart. Just reflecting into our lives, God is intently looking at our heart right now. Brothers and sisters, children, he's searching our hearts right now. He can give, you know, for those of you who have hardened your heart and you say, you know what, I'm done with this. How can this all this happen if God is not love, God is not merciful, God is not forgiving, you know? You know, I, I just want to encourage if there's any one of you through this entire pandemic or journeys in your life is, is slowly eroding and hardening your heart, you know, come back to him. He gives you a new heart. You know, you can repent and come to the father. He's waiting like the, you know, the father and the prodigal son daily looking out for many of you in our church saying, come back to me and I'll take you in. He's not a God on the menu. He's the only God that is available. If anyone has gone through loss and pain and suffering, you know, he can touch and heal the hearts if one have trust and have faith in God. And daily he peers into the daily motivations of our you know, I just want to tell you, uh, you know, uh, a story. In fact, it's not a, it's a sobering story of a, of a man called Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson wrote this song, Come Thou Found With Every Blessing. You know, he grew up without a father. That's his background. And when he was just old enough, he worked as a, as a barber, you know, as a hairdresser. And he had to support his, his mother and the work. You know, he did not have much of education, but his knowledge was impressive. You know, he was well-read, he could understood, he could process a lot of complicated stuff. And he used to spend many hours in study. You know, as he grew older, he came under the influence of um, the evangelist George Whitfield. In fact, George Whitfield played a, a crucial role in the, in, in, in the Methodist church and in, in, in various other churches. 
you know, um, Robert Robinson was wonderfully, by the grace of God, he came to know the Lord and he became a minister of the gospel. He was first ministering in the Baptist church, then the Methodist church, then he moved to other denominations and he preached the gospel. He did his theological studies and became a well-known fiery speaker and preacher of the gospel. You know, they say that his congregations were quite packed. They say that one of the highest was thousand people packed to hear Robert Robinson preach. Many years later, uh, in a in a coach, a stage coach, basically it is like a train, you know, uh, and, and uh, driven by horses and uh, in a stage coach. You remember the time when you travel, uh, like for you know, even as a church in the in the in the train, and you know the the sisters start a thing called antachari, and we all love to sing, and you know it's just so much of buzz. So in the stage coach, um, there was a there was a there was a lady who wanted to sing out loud. So she sang these beautiful words, come thou found of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And she sang the entire thing. And at the end, she says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness be like a fetter by my wandering heart. To be. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take it and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. After she finished the song, there was a stranger sitting next to her and she says, it isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? And how assuring? And what are your thoughts on this song? And that stranger happened to be Robert Robinson. He said, Madam, I am that unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, if I could feel now as I felt them. And unfortunately, uh, the church, and for some unexplained reasons, he became altogether unstable in his life and unhappy. He, he deserted his Christian beliefs and training. All of that in the gospel seems so less important to him. This brother, you know, uh, died at the age of 55 as a miserable man. He wandered away from the God he loved and wandered from finishing well in his life after, God, after, God, after, man, after a man after God's own heart. Faith is about the heart and not the appearance. It is not of how we look, how we present faith is about the heart. And you can see that as Saul's faith wrote, God was preparing a man because this man's faith, David's faith was about his heart. In everything he saw God first. I just want to just, just encourage us, even to look into our own lives. God sees what people cannot see. He sees a person's true character. And I pray and I pray. And I pray that even as the Lord Jesus demonstrated his love for us, the true character of Jesus was seen on the cross. And that's something that we celebrated even today, right? And many, many men of God have gone ahead of us. The third point I'd just like to um, share is now about the battle. You know, so faith propels us forward. Now, this is a little strange, and I just want to say that you can have faith. Okay, we guard ourselves from erosions. We guard ourselves from our, we guard our hearts so that we grow strong in, the, strong in the world, in the faith, and practice it. And it's not about appearance or show or you know, popularity, nothing of that sort. But can this faith propel us forward? Now, uh, before we read this portion, you know, you can all see the image of where this battle happened. Valley of Elah. That's what you see there. Even if the kids are seeing, that is exactly where David won over Goliath kids. Okay. You see the hill on the left, that is where Saul and his, um, 
you know, his his army stood the valley. Uh, the, then you have the valley. That's where probably Goliath came and championed out, and he said many things. And on the right is where the Philistine camp was. Now, uh, many of you would have traveled to uh, to uh, maybe could have seen this place. Kids, uh, all of you, can you see the uh, this the small little uh, pathway? That is the stream. This is exactly the stream that David would have picked up, picked up those stones. Interestingly, uh, the government of Israel loves to promote this. And, you know, every week they go drop a lot of smooth pebbles so that, you know, tourists can pick it up and say, guess what I got? And probably frame it and says, you know, probably David could have picked this and put this down. It was not as rounded as it's thought. But I'm just saying is this is exactly where uh, this entire battle happened. Now, coming back, okay, we're just going to look in three points when faith propels us forward. Now, look at this uh, portion. I'm not going to read it out for the lack of time, but I'm just going to bring out a few points. First Samuel 17, 4 to 11. Now, we have a Philistine champion from Gath. Okay, this was not David's battle. This was Saul's battle, Israel's battle versus the Philistine. Okay, we don't know what reason it was called out for, but anyway, there was a battle. Now, this champion of God, you know, he was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, a bronze coat of mail, and it weighed 125 pounds. He had bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. His spear was heavy and thick as a, you know, beaver's beam. And it was tipped with what iron spearhead that weighed around 15 pounds. And his armor bearer was walking ahead of him with a shield. Lack of time, I'm not reading to this portion, but I just highlighted. That is Goliath. You know, the, the, the description of Goliath and his armor, this champion of God, this champion of God, is, you know, it's more than a historical reason why it's put out there in scripture. You now, the, the author, the writer is trying to prepare us for the main theological point of this portion. And it is not historical. It is not at all historical. His, history shows us this is what he wore but it is not for us to get wound. You know, the author wants to describe how, you know, how awesome is Goliath, man? How awesome, you know, we would have loved to take selfies of his armory, you know, all of that. And, you know, it's like, how cool is Goliath? Meaning that is like the perfect setting for a, for a, for a champion, right? You know, Goliath looked impenetrable, brothers and sisters. He was, he looked dressed to kill and win it all. And David was not even a man. You know, it automatically disqualifies him as an opponent. And it was not even his battle. It was not even meant to be there. And yet David comes there, right? David comes there. I just want to bring up uh, this point. Uh, Georgie, uh, could you just move? Yeah. Faith propels us forward to trust in God and see life the eyes of faith. We spoke about erosion. We spoke about that faith is above the heart. And we saw how David would have been groomed by the Lord in those areas. And now we can see that, you know, it's important to trust in God and see and see through the eyes of faith. David was a man of the God's own heart. This means he saw life through the eyes of faith. He didn't see life in like in, in reality. He saw it on a spiritual level. You know, we know what Hebrews 11. Today, we have three portions being read out of Hebrews. And every time Hebrews is read, I said, yes, that's exactly what probably God is trying to tell us. You know, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. 
anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. David understood God right from creation, right from being Jacob being called out till today in a God had committed to the people of Israel. That's enough for me. He knew that what mattered most was the heart. You know, his skills, his talent, his abilities and all that was so external, but what mattered to God was internal. You know, through faith, he was not moved and impressed by the armory of Goliath. You never see David saying, wow, what an armory. He is not even bothered about that armory. You know, he didn't see Goliath clad for war. He saw a man who thought he was going to win. David saw the battle. And, you know, just David saw the battle and he saw the enemy the way God saw. Fear didn't move David, brothers and sisters. Faith moved David. Coming to the next, uh, coming to the next point. Now we see that um, now in the Valley of Elam, Goliath is now coming out, champing it out and, and, and saying, you know what? Um, and, and every time they see him, you know what? They're terrified and deeply shaken Okay, for 40 days, he comes out and he struts himself out there. And as David comes, you know, he gives the sheeps. I'm just not going to the entire portion, but just, you know, highlights of it is that he gives a sheep and the food and all of that. And as he moves around, it says in, um, in 20 down that David heard him about his usual taunt, the army of Israel. And then in verse 32, David says something interesting. He says, don't worry about the Philistine. I'll go fight him. You know, Saul tells him, don't be ridiculous. There's no one who can fight this Philistine and probably win. You're only a boy, but he's been a war, man of war since his youth. And then David says, you know, I've been taking care of my father's sheep. And he says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. And then Saul says an interesting thing. He says, all right, go ahead. You know, may the Lord be with you. And then he tries to make David wear his armor. Just imagine, Saul would have been double except. And uh, David could have been just medium sized. And all the armories put on this boy says, you know, you just go do something out there and let's see what can happen. You know, internally and externally, the Israelites were consumed by fear. They were literally paralyzed. There was no leader to lead them spiritually, nor physically. God was not even present in, in Saul's mind. In fact, he plants doubt into David's mind about his youth and ability. Saul humanly provides a solution and David conveniently rejects the doubt. David believed that God would be the victor and he had to step in for the sake of God's people. You know, faith propels us to move forward. We need to trust in God and see life the eyes of faith. The last point, faith propels us forward to believe that the victory is God. Brothers and sisters, this is even relevant for our current day situation. You know, David believed that the victory was God's. He believed it. He didn't have any other question. And he enters that battlefield just the same way. Okay. Either way, according to David, it was a win-win. It was a win for David. It was a win for Israel. Whatever Goliath was taunting was no concern for him. He was more concerned that the uncircumcised Philistine was taunting the name of his God. And David wanted to be part of this victory of God. Again, coming back, this is just not historical. It's a spiritual victory rather than a historical victory. It is basically the God of the Philistines, Dagon versus the, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh. We know, we know that, you know, about how, you know, Dagon falls flat on his face near the ark. So this huge spiritual battle is, is, is happening. You know, in David's mind, his soul, his strength, 
in his heart, the battle was renamed brothers and sisters. It was basically Yahweh was his day coming. And God would prove his victory. He could have sat on the sidelines, right? He could have said, you know what? My brother told me to do this, so I'll sulk, I'll sulk and sit here. Oh, I'll take care of the sheep. You know, I don't want to get my hands messy over here. You know, for him, whether he fought the lion or the bear, whether he did whatever he did, for him in everything, God was present. The battle belonged to God. Victory was God's and not David's. Brothers and fear, right? Fear can split our mind. Fear can make us doubt God. But for David, it was just one and all. Victory was God's. The brother says, even in this pandemic, God is sovereign and supreme. And he is truly uh, victorious. The last point, you know, um, faith propels us to step out and act for the glory of God. You know, in this portion, in this portion, um, we can see because we're running out of time. I'm just going to move ahead. You know, we can, see, you know, um, Georgie, could you just put the verses out? Yeah. You know, um, this is the battle where it's going to happen right now. You know, this is a taunt, you know, Goliath, uh, Goliath taunts David. David doesn't turn back, but he uses scripture, his faith, and fights it back. Okay, verbally, mentally, physically, he's trying to fight it back. You know, and he tells the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord's heaven's armies, the God of heaven's armies, of God of armies of Israel, whom you defied. And he says that this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Brothers and sisters, if you have Okay, your Bible, you can just underline this word. It says, verse 48, Goliath moved closer to attack. What did David do? He didn't step and run the other direction. He quickly ran out to meet Goliath. Well, that is, that is demonstration of faith. He's quickly running head on to, to Goliath. This guy who would have been, I don't know, maybe, you know, 150 pounds of metal and then then his weight and his, you know, we don't know, the, you know, he, David was running head on towards Goliath. David acknowledges that he has no fancy weapon. He does not need any fancy weapon. He comes representing his God. He comes representing Yahweh. And David had to act quickly. He couldn't wait to see God deliver Goliath into his hand. Brothers and sisters, even at a time such as this, Georgie, if you could just move to the next slide. Step out. Faith propels us forward to step out and act for the glory of God. David understood that true faith always drives a person to act. In fact, he was ready to, to respond and act for the glory of God. Whether it cost him his life, it didn't matter to David. James 2 verse 26 says, just as, the, just as a body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. God is probably calling each one of us in different ways to step out by faith, probably within our circles, probably externally also. You know, he needs us to be out. Whether it's on one limb, let's do it. You know, David, through the rock, we know at the end what happens, right? We know exactly what happens. David uses a sling, throws the rock. Now, let me ask a question. Did David know exactly the trajectory of the storm? Did he know it? He did what he had to do. 
His faith propelled him to act out and immediately, and that storm was amazingly guided by God. The wind speed was calculated by God. The trajectory was calculated by God. Even the pathway for David to probably run and get that momentum and through it, everything was calculated by God, that the stone hit exactly where God wanted Goliath to be defeated. David did his part. He stepped up the plate, stepped out on faith, run to the battle, slung the, you know, through the rock, and he watched God drive home that rock right into the temple of Goliath. Brothers and sisters, as we come to a close, faith is about the heart. Faith that is lifeless is no faith at all. I just want to challenge us over here. It charges and encourages that if our faith is lifeless, then there is no faith at all. You know, I just want to bring the story of a, of a, of a brother called Bob Goff. Uh, you know, um, uh, hearing him and hearing his life and his wife, Maria, you know, um, uh, is, is so inspiring. He says that living with constant interruptions is what Jesus did. What a different perspective, right? And he says, taking a bigger step may be the seed that grows the impossible. You know, Bob is, you know, he's a father, he's a husband, he's a lawyer, and he's also part of a, a ministry called Restore International, Okay. Just a story that happened probably two years or more back in Uganda. I think many of you would have heard about the country called Uganda. Uh, you know, the, the practice of witch doctors um, is, is, is big in Uganda, okay? In fact, witch doctors have unofficial immunity in Uganda. Okay, they can torment anyone they want for their own goals. Especially young boys is a particular interest to this trade of witch doctors for the body parts of these young boys. Children disappear every week and Garmin's efforts to stop this practice was, was, was not going anywhere. In the last decade, in fact, in the last 10 years, this practice just, just snowboarded and became very difficult to contain and to find out and even to prosecute. The witch doctor named Kabi, uh, he was the witch doctor of the north of Uganda. In fact, he was a leader. He was on the move and he captures an eight-year-old boy called Charlie. Now, this case was a bit different by the grace of God. In this case, Charlie escapes Kabi and the witch doctors. And he goes to tell his story. Now, Bob, brother Bob Goff had a case now. Okay, he presents this case and with his deep love for children and 25 years as a lawyer, Bob steps in. And he brings justice and he gets Kabi prosecuted to bring the evil system to justice. Kabi went to prison for life. This was for the first time in Ugandan in history that something like this happened. But Charlie was abandoned by his parents. This is this eight-year-old boy because he was, of the things that was done on him, they abandoned him. You know, Bob and Maria takes him uh, and, uh, you know, they become his legal guardian. You know, Bob says the minute he attacked Charlie, Kabi became my enemy. But I want you to listen to something that he says that really stirred my heart. He says, I realized if I wanted to, if I wanted big things to happen in my life, I need to take bigger steps and risk more than I had before. I decided to visit Kabi in prison. You know, with the same love that he had for Charlie, he visited Kabi at Luzira Maximum Security Prison in Ghana. It's in fact one of the scariest places to ever live. Is what, uh, is what they say. It says Kabi entered the dark room where Bob was sitting. He had no shoes, his clothes were disheveled, torn. Uh, he, was, he was sad, in fact, that's what Bob uh, narrates. He told Bob, this is what uh, Kabi told Bob. 
I know I'm going to die in this place. What I need is forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, what a rejoicing it would be in heaven. Kabi, the witch doctor of the north of Uganda, accepted the Lord as his personal savior. And he began to be discipled for Jesus. You know, through time, through time, you know, Bob started to visit Kabi, spend time with him. And the next time when they met, you know, he asked, you know, can he share God's love to the rest of the 3,000 uh, death row prisoners? Um, the, the warden allowed Kabi to share. Bob, Goff, and Kabi held hands together. And Kabi preached it. He preached it before 3,000 death row prisoners. Not as enemies now, but as brothers Bob Goff and Kabi, as fellow brothers and evangelists of the Lord. In fact, it says that after Kabi finished speaking, hundreds of men walked towards Kabi. The men on death row wanted to know about this Jesus who could reconcile even the most obvious of all enemies. CBF, you know, uh, I asked my family, I asked myself, I asked all of us, are there steps of obedience? The Holy Spirit is laying on your hearts today. Taking a bigger step may be the seed to grow the impossible. As we come to a close, just a reminder of our points. George, if you could just move to the next slide. You know, guard your faith from eroding, brothers and sisters. Plug the erosion, else you will fade away from God. Faith is about the heart and not the appearance. God sees what people cannot see a person's true character. And the last is make sure that your faith propels you forward. The days are numbered. We don't know. We don't know how next week or these next few days will look like. Trust in God and see life in the eyes of faith. Believe that the victory is God. Step out and act for the glory of God. Reminding again, faith that is lifeless is no faith at all. You know, the greatest Goliath of all was, was sin itself, right? And uh, it, was, it was brought down by the victorious death of our Lord Jesus Christ is his, you know, that he paid the price for us since he was taken down once and for all the cross. And we celebrated it today. You know, Jesus himself guarded his faith. You know, they wanted to make him as king, right? They wanted, they wanted to do many things with him, but he guarded his faith. And his heart was set on fulfilling his father's will and the acceptance of God. His faith, Jesus' faith propelled him forward to the cross. The perfect sacrifice from the tribe of Judah, the one that nations will see. And will all bow down. And he took the curse of sin once and for all and destroyed the greatest, the greatest enemy of all, the greatest Goliath of all sin. Brothers, I just want to, brothers and sisters, I just want to um, read this portion out for us. And I just want us to just close our eyes, keeping the current situations in mind. Can anything from Romans 8, 35 to 39, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Amen. In your home, say amen. Let our, let our kids hear it. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can ever separate us from God's love. No power in sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Princesses, always remember the battle belongs to God. Guard your faith. Develop your faith. Demonstrate your faith. Because the victory belongs to God. Hope and pray um, that this little sermon would have moved your heart and made us to step out in faith in various angles, including in our life, and developing your faith. Thank you for being patient to hearing myself, from, from hearing me out. And I pray that God's word will bear fruit in our lives. Also, I just want to say a sincere thank you to my nephew, Georgie. Uh, what a, you know, George, buddy, thank you for brilliantly navigating the slides. And um, uh, I request Jason um, to just pray over what we spoke and pray for us as a church and even for my heart and uh, even for all of our hearts. And uh, we'll close in prayer. Over to you, Jason. Let's pray. Father Lord, we want to thank you for uh, speaking to us through your word. Thank you for reminding us uh, from your word that, uh, that we ought to guard our faith. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us that, you know, if you do not exercise our faith, uh, uh, that's something that would, uh, would have an erosion. And Lord, uh, we want to summon ourselves and ask this question, Lord, where do we stand uh, in the light of what we've heard? Father, we pray that you would help us to search our heart, just like David said, help us to search our heart so that we would be able to see if there is any guile in us. Pray that, Lord, as we heard, that we would uh, allow your spirit to work through us and, and in faith step out and act for the glory of God. Father Lord, many times we want to admit that we are we are overwhelmed or, or, or overpowered by the fears of what we see with our physical eyes. Lord, we pray that you would you please open our eyes of faith so that we could see the unseen. And Father Lord, be able to trust you that you would not uh, let us down. And Father Lord, we pray that irrespective of, of what happens to us, Lord, pray that we would, you know, strive in our lives to live for your glory and act for your glory, O Lord. Father, give us the strength for that. We thank you for the beautiful lesson that came out through, through the life of David and, and the big word of caution that came through the life of Saul. Lord, we pray that, you know, we would we would choose to do the right and 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 to choose to step away from the wrong Lord. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for giving us your word through your servant Benji. Lord, we pray that you continue to bless him as he continues to minister in various other ways. Take all glory, honor and praise in the most highly name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.